or I didn't have a title for this one. It just literally says Word for 2021. <laughs> so for many years, I have asked the Lord for a word, um, not just for our family, but uh, what is he doing in his body? And I know that there's, that I always get, you know, you guys know how I am with numbers. And so I'm like, oh, what about the Jewish New Year? And there's the civil year. Anyway, I, I like a nice, clean, fresh start. And I know that the Lord has been very faithful in, in still giving me a word, no matter what New Year we're talking about. Um, so sometimes it's just a single phrase, uh, sometimes it's a word, or sometimes it's a full direction um, or a warning. And as I've been praying for the last few months, I had a very strong impression that the Holy Spirit is preparing his people for a deeper understanding of spiritual warfare. Not something that we just simply talk about in theory or know, we can quote, you know, Ephesians 6 or whatever, um, but truly uh, being engaged and experiencing as a soldier in combat. As I began to write and continue praying, it was like all of a sudden I was struck and the Lord said, that's not what Sunday Sermon is about. But that throughout this year, he will be training us in that. And I believe that will be more of like a teaching type series. Um, But the Holy Spirit will teach us in those things and that we will need that to have an understanding to live in the times that we are living in. A more in-depth, ongoing theme that we can be active in. But I do feel like the word all of a sudden that the Lord hit me with um, was the Great Reset. Now, we have all heard of the Great Reset by the World Economic Forum, and this is not a message or a warning on those things that are happening in the natural that we understand, but I do find it fascinating that what we are seeing in the natural we can apply and see in the realm of the spiritual. This word is so strongly came upon me that I just sat there meditating and asking the Lord, what do you, what do you mean by this? And I felt like the Lord was saying, this would be a great reset for his people. I looked up the word reset in the dictionary, and it means to start new or to start differently. And so I began writing notes and making a comparison of uh, the Lord's ways versus the world's ways. And when I went to the World Economic Forum, that's where you read about the great reset and everything, um, it struck me as as I read the words in the natural, but hearing a spiritual application. It says this on their website. We believe the progress happens by bringing together people from all walks of life with the drive and the influence to make positive change. This is all about global unity based off of global economy and a global ID. What does the Lord desire for us to see in this spiritually, though? I believe he wants to reset our eyes, reset our priorities, reset our vision, and reset our three-part person, our spirit, our body, and soul, healing us, setting us free, Um, we have known for many years that he keeps telling us to be prepared and we can achieve these things individually, but God doesn't want individualism. He is created us truly unique and he has created each one of us unique individuals, but God doesn't, um, as the Holy Spirit distributes gifts, he gives to us differing gifts, differing callings and does make us very Uh, individual in that way, that we're all very unique to the Lord, differing from one another. But as he has called us, his church is to first be in union with him, and then also in union with our brothers and sisters in the spirit throughout all the world and throughout all ages. If you notice, I use the word union and not unity. Not that there's anything wrong with the word unity, But for the sake of making a point, I want to kind of make a difference here. Several months ago, I was reading a book, and something in there stood out to me and reminded me of an example in my own life. 
As you guys know, I have three sisters that I grew up with, and uh, we're all close in age, and we can be the best of friends, but we can also be pretty scrappy, and we can have some really good fights, too. Um, many years ago, we were having a family gathering, and the sisters began to get a little heated. We started debating some stuff. It turned into an argument, and all the sisters started engaging. Well, the brother-in-laws, <clears throat> including my husband, saw this, and they like very wise men, walked out of the entire house, just walked out. <laughs> but <clears throat> a, a new fiancé was in the picture. And, <clears throat> excuse me, um, he had not yet experienced the dynamic of the sisters' arguments. And he thought it wise to get into the argument to defend the, the sister fiancé. And really, honestly, that poor man had no idea what he was coming into because, and I'm sure he was shocked, because the moment he started to defend, not only did his fiance, but all the rest of us turned on him. Now, we were back in union, and he was the one on the outside. <laughs> so there was words, I'm sure, that were like, don't talk, to, don't talk like that about my sister. Uh, you don't know her. It was, so the defense came. My point being of that little story is that unity is something we speak an awful lot about. Uh, unity means to most people that you're like-minded and that you agree. The church strives for unity, but as I was reading this book, I realized this is why we have so many different denominations. Because we want to be around people that have the same Christian beliefs. And how wonderful it is when we can gather in a group here and we can celebrate the Lord's feast and it not be a strange thing. That we can gather here in a group and celebrate... Uh, worshiping, and it doesn't matter if we're lifting our hands or kneeling or dancing or clapping, and it's not a strange thing because we're like-minded. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. And God knits our, heart, our hearts to kindred believers, and that's why we, we make these little, that's why we fit into the, the local communities that we do. But can I suggest that God desires something deeper than what we truly define as unity, which is union? What this fiancé did not recognize or understand was a deeper work of union among the sisters. This union allows space for disagreements, maybe even heated debates, but there was a love and a respect that is so deep that having disagreeing views wasn't going to break the union. As we find our like-minded people in groups, there is a unity among us, but of the things that we believe. But how often in churches, if those beliefs are broken down, that the breaking of union occurs? a breaking of relationship. Uh, I've heard my dad say it before, and I'm sure plenty of pastors throughout history have said it, is that there's many folds but one flock. And if you turn with me to John 10:16, the words of Jesus say, <clears throat> And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Also, if you turn to um, Mark 9.38, or if you want to write that down. Now John answered him, saying to, uh, to Jesus, Teacher, we see someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow us. 
But Jesus said, do not forbid him, for no one works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. We are going to have differences. We're going to have different doctrinal views, uh, different stances, different levels of maturity, different understanding of baptisms, um, and different eschatological views. That's just what you're going to find in any group of believers. From the book, I felt like the author said it the best. He said, there are two kinds of unity. An external unity without internal agreement and an internal unity with occasional external disagreement. I'll say that one more time. Two kinds of unity. An external unity without internal agreement and an internal unity with occasional external disagreement. If our entire focus is trying to create an outward unity, we may have all of our doctrinal and theological and eschatological positions the same, but lack an internal peace with one another. It's not simply our agreed-upon doctrines that make us powerful. The Bible tells us it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. What is the most powerful force in this world? It's not the Russian or Chinese armies. It's not the elite Navy SEALs or special op teams. It's not even the global one world order or government. It is the unified body of Christ functioning together in true union, glorifying and representing God to this world. We all know that offense is a problem in the church and uh, as we were transitioning out of um, leaving our church and our our pastors were kind of mentoring us and speaking to us and giving us advice and encouraging us, Um, one of the things they they really let us know is that you can't be offended. You can't. And the offense is actually a really big problem in the church. And now I'm not talking here, I want to have a disclaimer, I'm not talking about abusive churches or being under unbiblical or compromised uh, leadership or anything like that. We are supposed to discern and judge the body correctly. Be led by the Spirit to be part of a local body of believers he calls us to. But the way that God teaches his people is by giving them experiences to practice. How do we learn to forgive one another? Except for being offended by somebody. That's how we learn forgiveness, right? Being hurt by somebody is how we learn to forgive. How do we learn to pray and know the, the needs of people to pray for and even pray out loud or anything like that if we're not in a body of other people that kind of encourage those things? How do we learn to not be offended or hold grudges except by allowing ourselves to be amongst people who really rub us the wrong way? The Bible tells us that we are baptized into one body, one spirit. So for many years, the words the Lord had given to me was a warning to his people to get ready to prepare what was happening, what was going to happen, and a warning of things that are happening now and continuing to happen. And if you guys heard me um, when we went across uh, the the vacation across the nation, after hitting Philadelphia, when he showed me that uh, the picture of America and everything, um, that it was time to get up and wash our face. God will continue to warn his people, but I believe that the focus isn't so much on the warning as I believe most Christians can now see those things, that they were true, they're real, where we're at, what we've been warned of, it's here. But let's look at what the enemy is trying to do right now to cause absolute lack of fellowship, 
isolation and fear. As the body of Christ, we are called to everything opposite of that. We are not to forsake the assembling of one another, even more so as we see the day approaching. I've spoken about that vision that the Lord gave me last year about the pillars of truth. Um, and these things, they were, they were pillars that had a, a strong material, but mixed in them was wood. And then all of a sudden, I saw fire touching on the top of them, fire from heaven touching on the top of them. And as I did, the wood, the mixture inside just burned out. And I've explained that I believe that those pillars um, were truths that we've, we've held on to as truths that God's going to take care of. There are doctrinal mixture that we have. We all have mixture. We all have mixture in our understanding. Not one of us has it all figured out in the word of God, whether it's our eschatological views, our ideas of baptisms, or anything like that. We don't have it all figured out. And yet the Lord will just, he, he's going to speak to his people those th- concerning those things. False things are going to be burnt up. Not that we don't have to warn about them and have our eyes set for them, but the prosperity message will be burnt up when <laughs> nobody's prospering, right? Like, uh, if you hold to a certain eschatological view that you're going to be taken out of here before any tribulation and then a tribulation comes, guess what? Your, your view is going to be burned up. But we understand that there's going to be a great apostasy. That's what the word of God says. So it's not like a whole bunch of people are going to come into the truth. In fact, it says just the opposite. There's going to be a great falling away. Apostasy means falling away from the truth. So those that are abiding in him, um, I I believe that if we are continuing to look to him and staying in him, that we don't need to be so stressed out about those things. God's going to, if there's wrong things inside of us, the mixture inside of us, and we're seeking him, he's going to take care of it. He's going to take care of those things. But those are the things that are making people sometimes lack union because they might have a different denominational view of something and they just feel like they can't. But what God is calling us to is a union of believers. Sometime this week I misread a sentence. I thought it said something about knowing who we are. Uh, But then I realized it actually said knowing whose we are. We often identify ourselves as individuals in this walk, like what are my gifts, what are my talents, what, am I, what is my calling, and in the quest to know who we are, we often lose sight of whose we are. This walk isn't just about you, it's not just about me. This walk is about glorifying Jesus through the body of believers. Even when we don't agree on everything, doctrinally speaking, I think we can more clearly see who we are when we realize and we understand whose we are. Who do we all belong to? Like I said earlier, the, the, there's many, uh, was it folds? Many folds. many folds, one flock. It's been um, Satan's plan to break fellowship, to prohibit the assembling of one another, and to isolate us. We have seen his tactics, using fear, unconstitutional laws, pride, even, well, I'm doing it for the sake of everyone else. So basically, peer pressure. Why do you think there is such an attack and this tactic is being used? Because Satan is the master engineer, and he uses governments, leaders, selfish and greedy and wicked hearts, godless nations and laws, to achieve his plans. 
Why do you think he wants Christians to be isolated right now? Because he's been around. He remembers the power of the body of Christ throughout history. A great reset in the world means erasing and forgetting. Judeo-Christian foundations of this nation, they have to collapse America for this global agenda to achieve their plan. We have all had phones that we have might had to factory reset, knowing that all of our data could be lost, that we have to start all over again. And that is what the enemy is trying to do. We've seen it throughout the summertime with the tearing down of statues, the tearing away from our, our founding fathers and making them out to be people that they weren't, misrepresenting them. But remember this, what the enemy has meant for evil with these words, understand that God already had a plan in place. He already has his perfect timing. This is the time for the great reset for his body. Not like the world where we forget our foundation. In fact, just the opposite. We understand our foundation is the rock, Jesus Christ, our Messiah, the Lord. Instead, it's a reset of taking inventory of our priorities, our place in the body of Christ, our acceptance and discernment of where we are at, and seeing and believing what God has called us to be is an overcoming people full of God's power and might in these days. As the world continues to pulse and go forward into the plans of the enemy with this quote-unquote great reset, with the counterfeit idea of global unity, which is really global control, may we, his bride, his people, go forward this year in union with one another, with him, with each other, allowing us to have a great reset in our view of the body and the power of God when we are walking in the spirit. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have it all planned, you have it all figured out, that there's nothing that is taking you by surprise. I thank you, Father, that you do nothing without revealing it to your servants, the prophets, first. I thank you, Father, that truly what Satan has meant for evil, you will use to bring forth uh, a church that, it, that glorifies you in this world and in this time. Lord, speak to our hearts of any of those places that we need to reset. Lord, we, we walk all individually, and yet you've called us in union to be with one another. First with you, that we are lifting each other up, that we are praying for one another. We give you the glory. Use us as vessels in this time. In Jesus' name, amen.